Yo, 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 what's going on? This is the Jack Moses podcast. Today, I'm honored to have a good friend and a prolific creator, Francis Olay, on the podcast. So a little bit of background on Francis. He has over 100,000 followers on X, over 3,500 subscribers on his newsletter, and he's also a creator consultant. And he's only 21 years old, too. So it's pretty wild, uh, the progress he's made at such a young age. And I'm honored to have you on, man. How are you doing today? I am doing really well, man. Thank you so much for the amazing intro. Uh, 20, actually. Uh, about 21 20. and 8 months. Yeah. Oh, damn, dude. You're even <laughs> farther ahead than I thought. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, you could say so, man. But um, I'm super glad to be here. I've been a big fan of Jack Moses. Maybe we'll get into that at some point because our story is pretty interesting. But yeah, I'm so excited to be here, man. For sure. And right before we hopped on and hit record, we were talking a little bit about the top creators in the game. So the names we're throwing around are like Kieran Drew, Dickie Bush, um, Chris Williamson, even Dan Coe. And what I'm curious your perspective on is what separates those, you could call them A tier creators from the B tier creators, C tier creators. What things separate those guys? Very interesting topic. So for starters, I would say curiosity is just straight from the get-go because I have seen a bunch of creators. And in fact, I would say that most creators aren't creators. They're more of like curators. They're bringing no novel insights into the conversation. And the thing that I've seen that separate most of those top guys is they have a way to fuse their genuine interests with the kind of thing that they talk about. And that's just what makes it like unique. Like let's use Danko, for example. He's a common person that we love to consume content from. Like Dan does a lot of things that isn't typical because of the unique perspective he's coming from. He's coming from that philosophical background. So when he talks about business, he talks about it in a way that I know I personally have almost never seen anyone else talk about it, um, especially how he infuses um, spirituality, writing, bodybuilding, and a bunch of other things as well. So that is the first thing I've seen that um, separates the this A tier creators from the C tier creators. The second thing I've noticed is depth. Like all the names you mentioned, they either have a newsletter or a podcast. They just have some way to keep the readers with them longer. And that's how people really, because just by spending time with them, just like we were saying before, you talked about something about um, a buyer has to spend seven hours with the person before it feels like they know them. And I know that that is true for um, example, like. The time I've spent with Alex Omozi, Dan Co, you, I know I've either spent seven hours or maybe even in the 20 hour plus range. So depth and curiosity infused with your unique mechanism, that is the vehicle for making money. I found those two to be huge. And then the last one would be social proof. Just the fact that they've done something that they are seen as an expert. Seems like when people see that, they just feel like this person knows something that I don't. And then they're just more inclined to listen so yeah, if you throw those three things in, you won't just build a distinct digital identity or personal brand. You might actually build an unignorable one. That's great. I would 100% second all three of those. And I'll add two more in the mix just for some nuance. I think something That's I observe cool. with all these guys is just pure unwavering obsession. Like I actually mm -hmm. spent one day in Scottsdale with Dan Coe in Arizona. Like I got dinner with him and his editor and good friend, Devin, super cool guy. Oof. And throughout the entire time we're walking around the city, throughout the entire dinner, like 
Dan is coming up with ideas and scheming and writing them down on his phone. Like he's just obsessed with the game. He's thinking about it all the time, not necessarily in an unhealthy way where like the conversation couldn't switch to like a more surface level topic, but like an idea comes up and we bring up an idea for like his next book. He's like, Oh, I'm writing this down. I'm doing this. Like he just has that obsession. And then that ties into another thing I observe after like working inside cortex and like seeing how these guys operate, like, Dan, Joey Justice, Matthew Au, who's like the head engineer software guy, is their action threshold is so high. Like most people get an idea and then they just write it down on their to-do list and like block it off on the calendar, maybe for tomorrow or later in the week or something. These dudes at the top, they get the idea and they execute on it right then in that moment. Like the gap between idea and execution is shorter, the more powerful and influential the creator that's something i've really observed and i'm trying after being in these close quarters with these people it's a it's a character trait i'm actively trying to cultivate because i would always like push things off and procrastinate like i put out a tweet the other week um (laughs) like it took me five months to finally build up the courage to set up an llc and setting it up (laughs) took me five minutes and like that was such a good lesson of like these unmade decisions and these unexecuted ideas hold so much like mental weight in your mind that cloud your judgment and they don't let you get to the next creative insight. And so those two <laughs> things above all are like ob- obsession and action threshold. Those are the two things I've observed with these people of like, okay, this is what really separates them. Yeah, that is, that is so cool, Matt. You know, I've actually been doing that at some point and I guess because, because I'm relatively new to the game, I've not exactly become used to that, like the idea of like getting an idea and acting on it immediately. I think maybe if I do it for like an extra five plus years, it'll become used to me. But I've noticed that, let's say I'm reading a book, for example, and then I just get this idea. And then before you know it, I've spent like 45 minutes like fleshing this idea out. And then it's like, there's a part of me that's like, dude, you're so undisciplined. Why don't you just stick to reading the book and then schedule like playing with the idea later? So it's like, I don't know, like, do you think that's healthy? Do you think that wouldn't like disrupt their day? And because I heard the, uh, I was listening to this podcast, the CEO of Spotify, he said, no, he's the one that actually has it <laughs> to the unhealthy degree. Like if he gets an idea, he physically lives the, the place he is to like go somewhere quiet and flesh the idea out. Like even if he's in a meeting with friends and stuff, don't you think mm-hmm. it's unhealthy? I don't know. I want to get your take on that, to be honest. Because I do that a lot and I, I don't like it. I don't think it's unhealthy. I think it's obsession. And like, Mm. if you're so obsessed with your vision and where you want to go, that will supersede anything else. And if the people are around you understand how you operate and your obsession, I think they'll understand. Now there probably are levels of obsession that could be considered quote unquote unhealthy, but I think winning doesn't always coincide with healthy. And I've been learning about that a little bit from this dude named Tim Grover. So I think we talked about this a little bit. Tim Grover was Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant's personal trainer. And he has this book called Winning. I think it's called Winning. I've been reading it. And it's just such a reframe of like winning requires sacrifice. Winning requires obsession. Winning requires sometimes being viewed as crazy by people who don't understand what it takes. Like if you were around Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan, you know that they're obsessed and that's going to exceed everything else. But it comes back to the whole question of like, 
what are you orienting towards? Is it success above everything else? Or is it a holistic life? And that's a question yeah. that I think about a lot, especially in these early stages of building. Same, same, 100%. By the way, anyone who is thinking of checking that book, definitely check out the, the prequel first, Relentless. To me, I preferred that one to winning. I feel like that one was much more raw and he was also signed by Kobe as well. So if, if you follow Kobe and you love him as well, like that is the book that he did sign. And yeah, that thing you said, Jack, too, about uh, the holistic life. I've been thinking about that deeply, man. Like I've been so neurotic about it that I'm planning out like what my wife's personality type is going to be, <laughs> zodiac signs and stuff like that. Well, so far I'm at an, I'm looking for an ENFP uh, that is uh, Piscis. That's like the 12th house. I just feel like that dynamic is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a, a creative charger, for lack of better description. Someone who is much more creative than I am. And I just think that's just so beautiful to me. Like just having, because I was on a conversation recently with someone I respect and she said something about the man well, it should, for lack of better description, but like the dynamic she's seen that works for her is that the man is the builder and then the woman is the promoter. And if you think about it, that is somewhat astute because if you look at the top entrepreneurs, you see men there. And if you look at the top marketers, that's if you call social media influencers marketers, you see that they are women. And like in most like sports magazines and ads and stuff, like it is women, like that is your unique power. Um, yeah, they, because creativity is more of like a feminine thing and then building stuff is more of a masculine thing. So that's what I'm looking for. But then again, I'm thinking so much about the business and the impact I want to leave on the world that then I'm wondering about kids. Because recently, I think we'll talk about this um, in a bit. I broke my brothers out of boarding school. Well, not like literally jumped into the school to take them out, but I convinced my parents to take them out um, to switch them to a day school model so that I can personally handle the second half of their education because I spent six irreversible years in boarding school and there's still a part of me that hasn't forgiven my parents for putting me in there because it limited so much. I think if I wasn't in boarding school, I probably would have started entrepreneurship at 14, not 18. But that dynamic, like ever since I broke them out and I've been spending a lot of time with them, dude, they are so annoying. They are 10 and they are twins and they are <laughs> both dudes. And it's like, why didn't I keep you back in boarding school? It's so like, why, do you know what I mean? Like. So I've been thinking a lot, like, do I even want to have kids? But then I want to have kids. Like, that's the whole reason why I'm building all of this thing. So, yeah, just like you, man, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I'm not really sure where I want to go there. <laughs> no, I'm very similar, dude. And, like, I find it helpful to zoom out and realize you're 20, I'm 22. Like, it's okay to not have these life things figured out yet. And yeah. what I've observed, too, is, like, it's really hard to do it all at once. Like, it's hard to maintain really good health and maintain good relationships and build a business all at the same time. I heard something from one of my favorite authors and thinkers, James Smith. He said like, those are the three boxes, right? Like your health, your business, and your relationship. And it's impossible, at least he says, to do all three well at the same time. If you try to do all three at the same time, one of them is going to slip. And so how I see it at least playing out is like, in these early 20s, my main focus is building the foundation for the rest of my life, which is the business and my health. And then once the business is in like a stable place and the personal brand is in a, a powerful place, then shifting my focus more to the relationships. Because honestly, like if I think about why am I doing all this in the first place, what am I going towards in the long run? It's to 
build myself into the type of person that can attract the type of wife who I would want to attract and to build that family. Right. And so like, I see our early twenties, mid twenties, even up until like you're 30, like if you can put your head down and, and grind a bit and like really build something, you can build yourself into a life of freedom. And I've even thought about like, because there's always a next step in business. So like, we're still in the personal brand phase where we're in the early stages of like building out a digital ecosystem, like cohort, community products and all that stuff. But like, so I see myself at year one and I'm curious your take on this. I see myself at year one and I see where like Dan Coe is at at year six or seven. And, you know, he's built the one person business with courses, communities, all of that to, I think he hit like $4 million last year. And now he's onto the next beast, which is the software company. But I've always thought like, okay, if I could hit that same stage and maybe not the same numbers, but like a relative comfortable amount, would I actually want to take on building the next thing, like a software, like a big company, or would I want to just kind of become a recluse from the world and prioritize family and just like write books? That's something I think about a lot. Oof. <laughs> that that is such a good thought. Uh, Dan is actually on um, year eleven, not year seven, because he says, well, like in his book, he says he started the journey when he was twelve, but like he actively got into business from like sixteen, at least, kind of like partly before the college event, which he went on for like five years. So that's why it seems like he's been on the game for six years, um, six approximately seven, but he's he's kind of been on the game for eleven years, and. Honestly, you know, him launching this company, that means he's going to have all of the infinity stones and not just about leverage. Like the fact that Dan is a, a six foot five monster that happens to be <laughs> gentle and right as well. Like he has the he has a freaking pen, the sword now, all four forms of leverage. Yeah, he has like other things as well. Like the dude is is super duper inspirational. So, yeah, it's he's someone I take massive inspiration from as well. Honestly, man, at this stage of life, I think it's more of like a phase thing because when I listen to this author, um, so sorry, I'm forgetting his name, but he wrote this, he wrote a book, something about the way of living or something like that. But basically he was a musician. Well, he became obsessed about music at age 14. And then for the next 15 years, he couldn't think about anything else other than music. Like when he turned 29, he just found himself much more interested in helping other musicians and pursuing the passion himself. So it's kind of like, imagine an ENTJ turning into an ENFJ, that kind of thing that happened there. So I think that's what's gonna happen for us, to be honest. Like we are currently in this stage where we're only thinking about building and then we are going to move into the next phase. I think that's just how it happens. That's just how the calling happens because I've seen this so many times where people at one point in time, they just wanna build. And then at, at the other point, they think about this as well. And I think if we force it, that's where we're going to have regrets. And I think the worst thing that we can do is to, is to like have a kid and then, you know, blame the kid that, oh my God, like you're the reason for me not succeeding. And I know that's definitely not something I want to put my kids through, considering that I, I am an illegitimate child. So it does pretty fuck up with your psyche when you think that you're on unwanted or you're a mistake to the world. So that's why i think i resonate with alex Omozi a bit um as to why the he doesn't have a kid yet he's just not in that phase right now so i think that's the advice we should both pursue as well like a time is going to come for it <laughs> but like yeah. right now let's build let's just build 
Yeah, I'm with you. And I think you're referring to Derek Sivers. I'm assuming. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, Derek. Um, <laughs> no, dude, I love <laughs> Derek Sivers. Like, yeah. he was a huge influence on me. Actually, like his podcast with this one guy named Paul Millard, who is an author. He wrote this book called The Pathless Path. I'm trying to get him on the podcast next, actually. I've been DMing him a lot. Um, their podcast, I listened to it. And two weeks later, I dropped out of college. And like, it was so influential. Um, Derek Sivers was a huge influence on me. He has an interesting perspective about kids, though, too. Like he in that pause podcast, I remember he said, like, the sooner you can have kids, the better. Like you should have them at like 22 or 23 because yeah. you'll have the most energy. And then like you'll be that young, energetic parent, even by the time. OK, say you had a kid at I think 25 would be probably the earliest I would even think about it by the time they're 18. And like if you if you keep yourself in good health, like you're still in your low 40s when they're like becoming an adult. So you'll have their whole childhood to like be active with them, all that. So that's, it's something to think about because for a while I was more so gravitating towards like Matthew McConaughey's perspective, which was like, he didn't find his wife until he was 37 and he didn't have kids until he was like 40. And I was like, that sounds cool too. So honestly, my, my answer is, I don't know how it's going to play out. I think it's one of those things you can't really plan for. If you meet the right person, they check the boxes for you and it happens, it happens. I agree. I agree with that so deeply. I've also been thinking about that too, because um, I'm sure you know Hamza, we're a big fan of him as well. And he's thinking about being a father. He's turning 27 in May, and he's likely going to have the kid before or slightly after he turns 28. And I think that that's really cool, man, because I've, I've thought about it that deeply. Though I haven't really visualized having a kid at 22 or 23 like Mr. Derek, but I do see his idea there because we're going to have a ton of energy. But to me, I, I mean, I, I, I know the body is one of those assets that no matter what we do, it's going, entropy is going to catch up with it. But I like to think I will still be pretty energetic in my 50s. Like, look at The Rock, for example, man. That dude is freaking yoked. And then one other time I saw some 70-year-old Asian dude that looked jacked, like more jacked than some dudes in their 20s. So... Yeah, I don't agree with that perspective in terms of um, energy. I think you can do something about your energy. But, but, but then at the same time, Jack, I think it's, if it's, I think the best phase of life is, how do I put it? I think it's best to do it when it's, when it's the time to do it. Not, um, not like super duper early because it's like when you're making decisions too, you want to think of the, the long-term and how irreversible the decision is. So like kids is yeah. literally the most irreversible one. It's yeah. <laughs> so it, it's one to to thread with very carefully. And I'm so glad that we are thinking about this um, despite being um, this young, because like most of our mates aren't thinking about it. I think they should. I really wish that they would. So we're gonna we're gonna come up with something. We're gonna come up with some ideas. I know. I know. Yeah, it's interesting because I did not <laughs> I didn't expect the conversation to go this way, but I love it. Um, and oh, I, love I think it, man. tying yeah. it in, like when you're in your fifties and being high energy and good health and everything, it's like, it goes back to the idea of building the foundation now. And I can't think of a better forcing function for just becoming the best version of yourself in all domains of life than building a personal brand, like in the creator economy and building something behind your own name, because you have a public accountability essentially. And what I've really realized is like, all business problems are personal growth problems. And you can invert that too. Like if you're not growing 
in your business, it's a reflection of your personality. If you're not growing your brand and your writing, it's a reflection of your thinking. And so like, it's pretty crazy how this personal brand, this creator economy game is such a mirror for your insufficiencies, especially, and you'll see this more as we keep progressing too. Like as you keep increasing the level of responsibility to others, it forces you to level up because now that I'm running my first cohort with like 35 students and the vast majority of students in this cohort are older than myself, sometimes in some cases, much older. And that position of responsibility, it's been the greatest way to cut bad, immature, childish habits. Like, I don't know, staying up late, playing video games, like not being, not eating good. Like I want Mm. to do all those things or I don't want to do all those things now because I have other people relying on me. So I guess I'm curious, like, when you started in this creator stuff, did you see it as this major inflection point in your personal growth journey? And how has that evolved over the time you've been doing this? <laughs> not at all, man. Not at all. I did not see it from the start. So unlike me, actually, because I I think in, in some ways, I, I grew up to be someone who thought way ahead of um, other people around my age because... For example, like this whole take of like family and dream wife and all of those things. I've been thinking about it for a while, for probably like half a decade now, at least subconsciously, but like super duper actively for the last um, 18 months. And I believe I also had a, a valid structure of like what I believed I wanted to pursue in life, like my purpose. But when it comes to the creator economy, it never was that way for me. So I started on Twitter in October of 2022. This was about two weeks after I fully got into business. I got into business on September 24, 2021. I was just kind of dabbling on the platform at the time. I won't really say I was taking it like full time, but when I tried other means of generating leads, like um, outreaching to people, by the way, looking back on introspection, what I was sending wasn't outreach. I was literally spamming people. And now I see why I didn't get a lot of response rates. So... (laughs) Uh, I came online because I I saw that having a large following um, directly led to like having more leads. That's how I saw it. Because when I saw a bunch of the other people in the Nigerian space uh, with, that had high followers, I saw like they had high lead flow. I mean, of course, they did run ads. But at the same time, by building on these platforms with these followings, they had literally free people that were converting into sales. And some of them, they openly talked about it. So when I saw this, I was very open to the idea. So at the start of January 2022, I opened a Twitter account and I was ready to go. Now, I picked Twitter because it was the best platform that I could use. So growing up, I wasn't exactly a picture or video kind of person. I avoided platforms that had those um, very heavily. Then I didn't look for an audio platform because I actually didn't like my voice at the time. I've had this voice, this exact voice since I was like 14 or so, which I think is kind of like too early uh, to have such a a thick voice. And I got mocked for it a lot. So I didn't want to speak online at all. I just wanted to attract leads in a way that wouldn't avoid me taking pictures, recording videos or speaking. So all that I was down to was text. So I picked X because the other platform was LinkedIn and LinkedIn seemed too corporate to me at the time. Of course, later on, I would learn that that is actually not what LinkedIn is at all. But so I picked X and also that was where a lot of people were. So I started building uh, really gently. I didn't know how to play this game 
And frankly, I think I was massively disadvantaged because before then I had never actively posted on social media before. In fact, I haven't posted like three uh, different posts in a row before. So, and then also like growing up, I didn't exactly get the most attention from my mom as well. So I was just like, from all angles, it was like, you cannot win at this attention game, Francis. That was just what the universe was. Apparently that's what it looked like to me, but I just became obsessed because my, my survival literally did depend on it. I had to provide for my family. You see, that's where responsibility is coming in as well. So I knew I had to make this work in some way. So I was actively um, commenting, actively putting out posts. At the start, for the first three months, I didn't really know what I was doing. But on the fourth month, things kind of ramped up for me. I was getting a lot of spaces, engaging. And then in May, that was where I kind of like took off. And I would later end that year with 50,000 followers, despite aiming to go for 5,000. So it was from that point that I knew that, oh, wow, there's really something here. And from the information I'd consumed on X, I saw that this is way more than just making money for myself to survive as a person, that this could be more. This is actually my vessel for changing the world in my own little way, one tweet at a time. And we've seen amazing people who have massively changed our own lives with just tweets. And if they, how I like to say this, if they were able to impact people as intelligent as us, then think about how they would um, impact the quote unquote mediocre masses. So that idea just like blew my mind that how reading tweets of someone on a platform that I thought was all about news and crypto bros initially could change my life so much. So ever since then, if, oh man, I evolved as a person, honestly. Like I talk about personality types on this call a lot because I'm just obsessed with them. I took my first test in 2019. I was an INTJ. And when I took the last test, like two days ago, I was an ENFJ. That's an mm. 80, 75% different. So that means I was just, I just evolved as a person because truly I was a misguided I am introvert. I wasn't an introvert like ever. I just became that way because I, I, I don't know, I just didn't like people for some weird reason. But coming to the game and mastering psychology and all of those things, it changed it massively for me. And right now, man, just like Dan, just like you, just like the amazing other people we've mentioned on the call, I think about it every single day, like if not every single hour, just like building this brand, adding more depth, changing the world. Yeah, that's just how it, it just changed for me. So from hating people to now constantly thinking about the impact I could live on the world. Yeah, that's the impact has been for me. And yeah. Yeah, dude, I can sense the passion in your voice at the end there, especially with like the bigger purpose, which is awesome. And it's, it's pretty wild how like writing on a platform like Twitter can evolve into you having some grand mission and grand vision, because that's what's happened for me too. And the word evolve is so key because in this game, you have to evolve or else you die. Like it's literally modern day survival in the sense that if you want to survive on this conceptual level and play this digital game, it requires growth. It requires evolution. It requires reinventing yourself too. Um, yeah. But something you said that was interesting is like, it took you about three months to figure it out. And if I reflect back, it took me exactly three months to figure it out too. Cause I started, I think you said September, 2022, but I think you meant 2021, I believe. 2021, um, yeah. yeah. And so I started a year after you, I started September, 2022. And it wasn't until like January 
that I really figured out how to play the game. And that's something I, I harp on to everybody I talk to about this, students, whatever, is like social media is a game. Here are the fundamentals. You need to learn how to play the game if you want to have the impact you want to have. And so for you, like what were those couple principles or realizations you had to help you understand like how to play the game better? Because some people might not even know what that means. <sighs> you know, I, I figured this one out recently, but it's kind of like one of those ideas where at the start you just have inklings of it, but eventually just finally connects for you. To me, I see brand as your digital self. Like if you take the version of you that is so free and flowing with your best friend or with just like your close friends and you put it online, you've built a brand because the people who, are, who call themselves creators or entrepreneurs, they're not doing anything different than what most people are doing. They're just playing the game on a platform filled with millions of readers and they get to make money doing what they love, making quote unquote friends online. So that is just how I saw it, because if you think about it, a stranger is, you can just see that someone who doesn't follow you. And then when they follow you, it shows that they are interested. So now they are an acquaintance, just like someone that you know. And then when they become a fan by consuming like multiple interesting things from you, that's the equivalent of someone going from acquaintance to friend. And then in order to get super friends, you need to say so many interesting things that this person literally sees themselves in you and you've changed their life positively multiple times. And that's just the equivalent of a best friend. So this has just been, this is the most foundational thing that I just understood about the game. That if I just focus on putting out really interesting things into the world in different domains that don't seem seemingly connected, but they all lead to the same uh, purpose, like they create a path to the purpose I'm trying to get to. If you can synergize that, you have built a brand. Like to me, that is, if I got this lesson earlier on, I believe I would have been way ahead of the game. But then if we are to really boil things down to the very basic pieces, I see it as a three-step process. The first one is to, is to really figure out what you want to do. What is the purpose for building a brand? For me, it was to generate leads at the start and then later on evolve to um, impact in the world and things like that. So once you figure out what you want to do, then the next step is to position yourself that looks like someone that does the thing that you want to do. For example, if you're into generate leads as a business owner, you want to actually look like a business owner, not some gaming bro or something. And then the next thing you want to do is to attract uh, people who are just like you. That is your past self. Once you attract those people, then just focus on saying much more interesting things that those people are interested in. And you can know that they are interested in those things because your past self was interested in it. And while this philosophy sounds weird, if you go really deep into it, you find out that you understand others by understanding yourself. Like that is just how um, psychology works for me. If I can just understand myself fully, the problems I have, the things I like, and I put it out there, I'm going to find other people who are just like me, just the same way I made friends in real life. So then it just still ties to the same thing again. That's, that's just what I've, I've seen so far that works for me and anyone I've, I've spoken to, clients, friends, and yeah, it still holds true to this day. I completely resonate with all those. And I do agree, like self-awareness is that meta skill where if you can cultivate that, you can pretty much do anything. But what I see from a lot of people, especially at the start, and a lot of people that end up just like giving up and quitting 
is mm. they fail to accomplish step two of what you laid out, which was attracting those similar people to you. And this is where in my eyes, like playing the game comes into play. But so for somebody that is just kind of tweeting into the void, they can't seem to attract any followers. They can't seem to attract a network, all that stuff. How can somebody break through that bottleneck of not being able to attract readers, attract followers, and eventually attract clients and buyers to getting to the point where they can grow a hundred thousand follower brand like yourself? Like what's the difference between those two people? Hmm. Now we need to look at things from a marketing perspective. So one thing I've noticed is that for most people, their writing isn't that bad. Because frankly, like you know this, Jack, like when we were like 30 days into the game, like 30 days of like actively writing in some form, even if it's for just like 30 minutes a day, you've pretty much become somewhat of a good writer. That if you just get distribution on your, on your stuff, you could get like a million impressions. Like this is just one thing I noticed. I noticed I overcomplicated this too early. I thought I had to be writing for like three hours every single day for two years before I would get my first viral post, but that's not what happened. So it really matters on distribution, man, because I know just like you, you've probably seen a bunch of posts that they aren't well written or the post itself isn't even high quality, but you see that it goes viral. And the difference between that person and the person that we are talking to, which I assume is someone who is intelligent, someone who has um, some form of experience, because dude, like if you are, if you are not a two year old, trust me, you have experience that you can teach to someone else. <laughs> like that's just it. So I would say understand how to communicate as a person and then get a lot of distribution on your work. And by distribution, I mean, find people who are on the same mission as you that happen to have the same audience as you, maybe just a tad bit more. Let's say you have 200 followers, you find someone who has somewhere between 200 to 1,000 followers, you connect with these people in a way where you're not trying to just connect with them in order to uh, help you out, but you're actually going with the approach of you helping them and then just being like, hey man, I notice we talk about the same things after you have helped them consistently and deposited into the relationship. Like think of an ATM, you can't withdraw $50 if you haven't deposited more than $50. So once you've found out what this person needs and you've helped them multiple times, then if you switch to the mode of like, hey man, you know, we talk about the same things. Do you mind if we um, hit each other up? Um, if you're writing on Instagram, it could be something like, um, story post to story post or on twitter like repost to repost that sort of thing you will find out you get way more people and if you can do this let's say you have like five people who have your audience and you all are engaging with each other because man this is this is the exact same thing i did and i've been talking about this for a while but it seems like no one is doing it i had a network of people where we engage with each other we also had like spaces with each other we were like eight guys eight guys and girls we had this weekly spaces. So all of our audiences basically just knew each other and we grew fast because of this. So this is where the whole concept of like, don't be a lone wolf, like play the game with other people. So just find a stack of five people that are on the same mission with you, get distribution on each other's works. And then for Twitter, once you get above a thousand followers, things just pick off from there. That's one thing I've noticed um, in terms of like getting distribution for me. So get crystal clarity on who you are and who your past self is find five other people who happen to be like so like-minded to you 
then get them to share your work and you will get more reach. And once again, like, you know, you know, very well, Jack, you don't need that many followers in order to uh, make a killing as well. So that's what I would recommend. Yeah. I'm super glad you brought that piece up because in my eyes, it's like the writing is 20% or even maybe 10% of a battle, the networking and social connections are 80 to 90%, but everybody skips that step. And then they wonder Mm. why they never grow. And they like claim the game is rigged and all this stuff. I mean, like, like newsflash, the game is, it is rigged. It's a game. You have to learn how to play the game. (laughs) If you want your message to be spread to people around the world. And I said, self-awareness is the meta meta skill. Maybe there's a couple. I think the other meta skills are social dynamics, game theory, and just psychology and like understanding other people and realizing, and what I mean by game theory is basically like exchanging value and like making it mutually beneficial for both people. Because if you just meet somebody and then you're like, yo, can you retweet my post? And you've never built a connection with them or given them any value up front, why would they do that? Right. But if you can actually build a genuine relationship, offer to help them, send them a video that reminded you of them and you build this real human relationship at that point, like you're, you have friends and those friends would more than happily let you like help you grow. And the thing about social media or growing a readership or any of this stuff is like, you have to realize it's a social network. Like it's a network of people. And by you need to tap into the network effect of, and the network effect, I mean like, okay, say you have 500 followers and you connect with somebody with like 500 followers themselves, it's not like you're just getting another 500 people. Like if they repost that post, the network effect is like exponential. I think it's squared. And so your your reach is actually like, what would it be? 2,500? My math is going to be 25,000. I don't know. Um, if everybody were to repost that. And that's the exponential network effect of social media. And the, the one thing I've noticed too about like the top people is they know how to play the game and they realize it's all a relationship game all the way up. And all the top creators are collaborating with each other. Whereas the, the smaller creators who never figure out how to grow, they aren't collaborating. They're more, they're more so in conflict. They're competing. And that's the biggest thing. It's like, you don't have to compete with other people. Like you can do it in a healthy way. I've done this in the past where like me and a friend, we were like, let's race to 5,000 followers just to like motivate ourselves to go quicker. But realizing that like social media and online business and the creator economy is such a positive sum game where it's not like one person wins and another person loses. It's like, you can all help each other win because everybody follows 500 to 1,000 people. Like there's space for everybody as long as you separate yourself with authenticity, depth, and a unique perspective on life, you can attract Agreed. those certain people who are actually aligned with you and your mission and everybody can carve their unique space. So it doesn't have to be zero sum. Yeah, I agree with that so much, man. I used to think it was that way too, um, all about competition, but yeah, it really changed, man. I think what what made it change for me was like, you know that feeling when you see someone who has everything you have and then you start to feel like massive bits of envy, but then you get on a call with them and you just see that this is just someone who's just like you, who has goals just like you to, to make a bit of money to help his family and stuff. And then the envy just shrinks and then you start to feel pissed off at yourself for being so envious of this person and you know saying like, why do they have that thing and I don't? That was just what I saw like so many times when I got on calls with a lot of the people that I quote unquote hated. 
And I think it's, if you get to know a bunch of people that do the same thing that you do, you just develop this sense of empathy that you want to support them so much. And then when I just see other people who are in a similar line of work, I just give them the association of love I already have with the people that I'm working with. And yeah, it's, it's all about if you carve your unique space, you will be seen because like, you know, this Jack, we, we consume podcasts from like so many people um, in so many different niches about so many different topics, but at the same time, we still don't forget certain people, despite how many new creators come out. And that's because those guys, they stand out so much and they are consistently delivering value. So to me, that's how I see it. It's like you beat um, saturation by authenticity plus um, mm -hmm. consistently compounding. That's what I've seen. And I agree with that so much, man. I love that. Yeah, dude, no, <laughs> that's great. And you mentioned a couple people who like, you consume all their stuff. They stay top of mind. So my question for you now, like at this, I mean, you've been in for about two years, like what is the current bottleneck for you to reach that next level where like people are viewing France Soleil in a similar mm -hmm. light to a Dickie Bush or a Dan Coe, or I mean, even at the higher level, like an Alex Formosi, what's your current bottleneck right now? My current bottleneck. Hmm. You know, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a pretty lazy guy in a sense. I, mm. I, I would say I, I like to, to see myself like that in some sense. And right now I'm learning how to work hard, especially when I don't feel like it. But, you know, I've gotten a new twist on that. It's not doing the work when you don't feel like it. It's, it's, not, it's not about like, like facing hardship. It's about facing tactical struggle. Because if you don't have a bit of struggle in your life, then when life brings its own struggle that is tactless, that is involuntary, then you're going to suffer. But when you have a form of tactical struggle in your life where you are struggling, you're going through that hardship to build something actively for yourself, you know, you go into this flow state and like Mihai Csikszentmihalyi says in his book, when you come out of each flow state session, you become, you become differentiated and integrated. Differentiated as in you become much more skilled and integrated, which means you become connected with the collective consciousness being the universe. So, mm. I'm really working on getting into a lot of flow states because that wasn't the case for me in 2023. Like I told you, uh, Elon Musk has this great quote where you get paid in direct proportion to the problems you solve. 2023 for me was about solving so many mental problems. Dude, you need to see my notion. Like you need to see how many plans I like drafted out for 2023, uh -huh. how many A4 sheets I like drafted out different plans. Oh, we're going to do this and this and this and this. Dude, I wrote a lot of plans on different booklets. I filled so many books with just planning because like I'm a, I'm a Virgo uh, plus ENFJ and a bunch of other things as well. So I'm just this guy who loves to plan, 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 plan. And I remember like when I looked at my content ideas in December of 2023, I'm like, dude, you had all these ideas to execute on, but you didn't go for them. Like, why? Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> so that's what it's all about this year, man, because I believe with the ideas in my head, I could run a $1 million per month business. And I am not close to that at all right now. So there's a bit of annoyance mixed with enjoyment 
that I'm pushing towards right now to really work hard. Because man, if I think about it right now, I have all the clarity in the world that I need. I mean, all of the networks that I need to be in. Like I've, I've connected with you, of course. I've connected with many other amazing entrepreneurs, six, seven, eight, even nine figures. So for me, it's, it's not really a case of um, I don't know what to do. It's not like I know what to do, but I just need to, I just need to put myself to do it. And some people have a different take on this. Again, this was the one that really screwed with me because I thought that there was something wrong with me that I was designed for failure. I literally said this at some point in the past that I was designed to fail, that I'm basically fighting against myself in order to succeed. But I don't mm. think it's you fighting against yourself. It's you fighting for yourself against the resistance. It doesn't feel like it because your body has been trained to do certain things that are not in alignment with your goal, thanks to entropy and other factors that are not you. So the fight isn't against yourself. It's for yourself against whatever force that is. Stephen Pressfield calls it a resistance. Um, some other people call it laziness, whatever you call it. I, I'm just sharing this deeply because I know there's someone out there that needs to hear this who feels like there is something wrong with them. No, 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 there's, there is nothing wrong with you. The fight is for yourself because when you get into all of this flow state and you build things that mean so much to you, you enjoy yourself. So that means the fight couldn't have been for yourself because your body likes to go into the flow state. Your mind likes to actively solve problems and not um, have those negative thoughts. So the fight is for yourself. So yeah, the bottleneck for me is, it's not just working hard, it's working hard on the things that mean the most to me. And I'm blessed with the fact that I have a clear understanding of what my current purpose layer is. And I have a unique set of passions that I'm working on. I'm currently working on a lot of projects that, you know, really exhaust me when I go down to sleep and they get me up excited in the morning. So that's just what I'm pushing on. And I know I'm going to get there. Yeah. There's no better feeling than like going to bed exhausted because you pushed yourself mentally, physically, et cetera. And then oh, yeah. waking up, like you hear your alarm and you're just out of bed. You're like, let's go, let's crush. And Dude, I don't even use an alarm anymore. I just feel excited. When I just <laughs> get up and build. <laughs> There That's was one time sign. I had four hours of sleep. I was still excited. I just went to build. <laughs> I've done the same thing, dude. Like there was a time I remember I posted my first YouTube video like in March and I woke mm. up at like 3 a.m. And I was like, I just want to do this. Like I can't I sleep. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. But I mm. think you only get to that state once you have the clarity. And I think we're both mm. at the stage now of like we have clarity on where we want to go. But for so mm. long, I didn't have any. Um, mm. But once you have that clarity... It's like you solve one problem and then it reveals the next problem. And now that I have the clarity, it's similar to you. It's like, I see it as shedding old identities because let's say to build yourself into a $1 million a month creator business, you yeah. have to first become the type of person who can do that. Right. And mm -hmm. to do that, you have to, sh you have to adopt the new identity of that person. You have to shed the old identity of your old self. And the, it's interesting you thought you brought up laziness because I wasn't going to say that for like what I was thinking, but it's 100% nail on the head because that's a current bottleneck for me too right now. It's like I see the only thing holding me back from getting to where I want to go is that old identity of laziness essentially. And I think I've kind of programmed myself into a lazy identity just because of past circumstances in my life. Like in yeah. college, for example, like I was playing football, but I wasn't enjoying it. I was escaping reality a lot. And my habits were all that of a lazy person. So like smoking weed all the time, playing video games, sleeping in late. And like 
now that we're on the path to becoming high level entrepreneurs, it requires shedding those old identities. And so I'm curious for you, like, what is that identity or what are the character traits of the person you're trying to build yourself into? And what are those character traits and identities you're trying to actively shed? That is deep. Uh, <laughs> I love I, it. <laughs> that, that is deep. Dude, I love this so much. I heard this quote. Before I get into this, I just want to throw in like an important point before I then ask, answer your question, because this is very important. I, I needed this a long time ago. I heard this quote one time. And this one guy, he said, the reason why you're not successful is because you are afraid of success. And that never made sense to me because since I, since I was like 11 years old or so, I was like, I want to be successful. I want to do big stuff. Like I wasn't in the state where maybe my family was like super duper poor or anything. I mean, we were poor from an objective standpoint, but it wasn't really motivated by any negative circumstances. But I just felt like this deep pool inside that I wanted to be more. Now, of course, later on, when I did my whole zodiac sign thing, um, it turns out I'm a Taurus and Taurus, Taurus is like a Taurus not node, uh, which is the kind of person you want to be. And yeah, we're just like super ambitious. But when I then saw that quote and I saw that, well, I was definitely not succeeding as much as I wanted to. I was like, what did he mean? That didn't make sense at all. But as you know, Jack, um, the more we get into epistemology, philosophy, like all of this stuff, a lot of things that don't make sense actually make sense because the word nonsense literally has the word sense in it. So I kept it at the back of my mind. And later on, it finally dawned on me. By the way, once again, Jack made me aware of this. I read a post he made where he, he made it clear to me the reason why I wasn't um, chasing success. And it was because of fear. And the one habit he recommended was meditating. And ever since I've been meditating, ever since I read that letter a couple, like a couple weeks ago, and ever since I've just been meditating consistently for like 30 minutes straight. So that particular part of the, the body is the amygdala. And just pardon me to explain this like a bro, not a pro. Jack is a pro, I'm the bro. But how it I'm works is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the amygdala is the, the part of the body that um, releases fear enzymes. And of course, fear is different for some people. Some people are fighters, some people are flighters, and some people are fleers or freezers. And for me, I think I'm more of like the freezer. But basically, the reason why I didn't act as much as I believe I could for a very long time was because I was genuinely afraid, man. Like, I was addicted to watching YouTube videos of like how to build a business without building the business. So the idea of like stop stopping the videos and then starting the business it was so uncomfortable. I was like, no, no way. Like I was so addicted to like playing video games. I was like, I couldn't imagine a life without video games. So the reason is our ego or our minds, one of those things, it is concerned with preserving our sense of self. And the reason that most people aren't successful is that they can't freaking plunge into the unknown. They can't face their fears because a lot of people could be successful today if they just like let go of the habits that they have and then impute new habits. But the fear of doing that is massively crippling. I know how addictive it was for me to um, watch the videos or play the games or just have some time off to not work. So yeah, I just know that feeling for sure. So to all of you folks out there, you're afraid of doing the work. I'll say the first thing you should do is meditate. Um, just find a quiet spot 
sit down at that spot, set a timer for five to 30 minutes or even to an hour, but I'll recommend five to 30. That gives you all the benefits you want. Uh, breathe in your nose slowly for four seconds and then breathe out for four seconds. Then just focus on doing that for the duration of whatever time you set until the timer hits. And then while you're meditating, your thought is gonna go somewhere else, but understand that by getting your thought from the thing that distracted you back to the breath, that's visualized like you getting one rep in the gym. So when you build that muscle, the muscle of um, focus, impulse control, and reducing the fear hormone, it becomes easier to work. Now, to come to your questions, the identities I, I have right now that I believe is holding me back. Uh, one, I, I'm insecure most of the time. I have this feeling that every, that, I don't know, like I'm going to do something one day and it's going to destroy everything I've built. I always have this feeling that everyone who is proud of me right now, in some sense, that is only a matter of time before they, they become unproud of me. I have this feeling I, I'm still unable to not think about, to not not think about my past mistakes uh, because I'm a perfectionist like that. I, I don't tend to, it's really just a lot of um, these thoughts that is, that's in my head, really about being insecure and being a, a turbulent person a very conscientious person. And I know that it's, it's heavily limiting because if I spend more time engaging the activity without thinking about myself, I know I'm going to perform better, but it's something that I'm actively working against, which again is why I'm undergoing the meditation habit. Another identity I have that isn't helpful to me is that I believe that there is only so much that I can do. And that is because Dude, when I listened to the David Goggins podcast, one of his recent ones, and he, he talked about spending 20 minutes on one page before he understands the, the message there, man, I felt that. Dude, I, I, I can't count how many times I read a Dan Cool letter or watched a podcast from Jordan Peterson, and I couldn't digest the information at once. Like I had to spend a lot of time on the page than what I believe most people do. So... When I look at that, and when I also look at my work rate too, I see that I put in a lot of work to get somewhat little out of it. But of course, with the, the leverage gods, uh, the media that I have, I'm able to spend maybe like three hours on something and it gets seen by 30,000 people. It feels somewhat worth it. But because of that, because of this evidence that I have, I see it as I can't achieve, as, as I can achieve like everything I want to achieve. Um, because I want to achieve some things in like multiple domains of life. So those are the two things that I heavily think. And when I flip it over, I like to think that the ideal version of myself, the authentic self, is someone that is assertive. He's not someone that thinks too much about what other people think about him. If he, he just believes that if he does the job, he doesn't have any reason to be insecure at all. He believes that if he provides the most value in the relationship, then he has nothing to be insecure about. Uh, insecure about, you know, the person, you know, getting disappointed with them or anything like that. And then he's also someone who believes that, that while his goals seem massive, because I, I, I kind of believe that mine are a little bit too massive, but I believe that my ideal self, he sees the goals and they're like, man, like you, you have so much more in the tank to do. So mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think I need to do more positive affirmations in that domain. Um, I'm still kind of getting used to the idea of positive affirmations, not just being delusions and a waste of time. But I think like with exposure therapy, I'll get to understand the appreciation more. So yeah, that, that was a very good question, Jack. I appreciate it for, for asking that. You really made me think of that. No, I loved your answer too. I mean, there's so much I could hit on there. I mean, the first piece I wanted to hit on was the meditation. And to some people, I know that feels like a waste of time. And this is kind of telling myself, like, you need to still be doing this. Like repeatedly, it needs to be a habit because to me, it's just this little block during your day that allows you to zoom out and gain perspective. Because when you're so in the trenches with working, emails, clients, like it's hard to zoom out and ask, like, why am I doing this? Or like, where, I'm, where am I going? And I think introducing some type of pattern interrupt into your day and into your life on a broader scale is so important. Like some of the most profound realizations I've had have come from two main things. One, sitting in meditation for like 60 minutes. That is what led me to leave college meditating for 60 minutes it led me to moving back home with my parents and doing a monk mode because i meditated on it for 60 minutes and then the other thing which is kind of tangential i think it's very similar is like psychedelics just a mm. lot like taking a day to completely introspect and zoom out and say okay am i am i on the path where am i going and to me meditation every day is like that mini pattern interrupt where you can actually look at yourself objectively from an outside view and watch your mind and see where it goes and ask yourself if you're aligned. The next, the other piece you hit on that I liked a lot was like the insecurity and the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome. I don't think you said imposter syndrome, but that's what came to my mind. That's something that I think about all the time. Like there's always that little voice of like, they're going to find out you're a fraud. They're going to find out you don't know what you're talking about. Like it's all, everybody's going to figure you out. Yeah. And I kind of like Hormozy's frame on this. Like you crush imposter syndrome and self-doubt with a stack of evidence that you are who you say you are. And what's really helped me in this is like taking on projects and taking on responsibility that other people aren't willing to take on. And so I had a huge surge in self-confidence and self-belief when I built my free performance course, the Peak Performance Primer. Because I put I 250 plus hours into that course and it was free. And like, if you want, if anybody wants to take it, you can sign up for my newsletter and I'll send it to you for free. 250? But yeah, dude. Probably a, a, at least 250 hours, like for writing the entire script. I mean, it was like 48 chapters and I had to make slides and then record videos, figure out how to set up the software and all that stuff. And it was so much effort. But what I kept repeating to myself is like, because this is so hard, 99% of people aren't going to be willing to do it and persist through. And so you're separating yourself that way. And so after I finished that and launched it, that was a huge boost to my self-confidence. And then that gave me the confidence to go launch a cohort because I'd proven to myself that I was capable of pushing into the unknown and taking on a project that I thought was out of my comfort zone. And so increasingly the imposter syndrome has gone down but it's always there when you're taking on a new endeavor. Like my first cohort group call, like there was like 30 people in there. Like half of them are in their thirties or forties. And they're just like expecting me to give them something of value. And that was like, holy shit. Like, do I know what I'm talking about? Like, are, yeah. am I wasting these people's money? But what I've realized is like, you can 
Her work cut self-doubt and you can squash the insecurity and imposter syndrome through relentless prep preparation. Because the next call, I prepared three times as long. I made the presentation three times as much. I practiced it. And I went in with so much more confidence because I put in the work to prove to myself that I'm the type of person that is capable of this. Man, that is so, that is so cool. Was the, was building the course fun for you? Yes, I would say it was, I mean, now that I'm building projects, like there's no feeling like building something, like actively building something where you yeah. wake up every day and it's just top of mind. And like, it also, it's like your lens for reality because every idea or insight I have is a potential idea I could implement or put in the project. Like last night, actually, before bed, I was reading $100 million leads, like, which is usually not a book type of book I would read before bed, but I was reading <laughs> it and he was, Hormozy completely reframed my idea of a lead magnet. And I woke up this morning and I had this completely new idea about like, okay, the peak performance primer is a good lead magnet. It's a lot of value, but Hormozy said the best lead magnets solve narrow problems with big solutions. And I realized that like my current lead magnet, the primer, while it's valuable, it's not solving as narrow of a problem for the target audience I want. And so I woke up this morning and I had a completely new idea about like a new lead magnet, essentially. And the point is that when you have a project to filter reality through, everything you consume changes that project and you can iterate and build on top of it. But when you don't have a project, it's like the information goes in one ear and out the other because you have nothing to apply it to. Like you need a project to apply everything you're learning to and act in real time. And something you said earlier in the conversation about like, I'll read a book and then I'll go like, I'll have to like flesh out the entire idea. And like, you're like, I don't know if I don't know why I'm not disciplined enough to just read the book. Dude, I would yeah. argue that's better because I wrote a tweet the other day about like excessive information consumption without action is just mental masturbation. Because yeah. the reason you're reading the book should be to directly apply what you're learning to your life or to whatever you're building. And so now I'm kind of approaching information and reading and listening to podcasts that way of like, I'm reading until I get the insight, then I'm going to act on the insight as quickly as possible. Then I'll return to the book and continue reading until the next insight hits rather than just consuming the whole book and then like losing all of those breakthrough insights. It's like, how can I act as quickly as possible? Yeah, well, that is so sick. I also made a tweet recently about it as well that kind of popped off. I noticed people really liked it. The tweet goes, you don't read a book to remember everything in it. You read a book to remember the few ideas in it that will give you everything. I, a lot of people like that. That and was good. That was a yeah. good one. I read that. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that hits. Yeah, a lot of people really like that. And I know it's something I needed before because I thought the idea of reading a book was to remember every single word because like growing up in school, um, we, we basically just memorized the book. Like that's what we did. It was either we do that or we cheat. Like we actually didn't know how to learn because like yeah. freaking chemistry, like sure. While we did some experiments in the labs and stuff, but like most of the time we didn't. So it was a very interesting case where I just had to cram a bunch of stuff. And of course I forgot it over time, but there are certain ideas from chemistry that I never forget. Like when my chemistry teacher told me something about uh, transmutation. Well, I think I heard him wrong, but the thing he said that still sticks to me is that if you fry an egg, it's no longer a protein anymore. It becomes a carbohydrate. 
Now, when I asked uh, Johnny Brown, a mutual friend of ours who's into peak performance and stuff, he laughed his ass out loud. It was like, no, 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 that, that's not true at all. But like, still, <laughs> I remember it because of how practical it was. Like, it was in relation to an egg, like a food that we consume much. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, fried eggs are carbohydrates anymore. So, I've been, by the way, I've been having lots of eggs recently, like two to three eggs every single day. I haven't really seen benefits yet, but I want to give it 30 days before. I give a judge on it, like write a thread about it. So, so that's really, that's really, really fascinating to to see as well. And then Dude, you got to up, you got to up yeah. those, uh, you got to, you got to up the eggs to like six a day, at least. I'm thinking nine, bro. Hamza <laughs> is, uh, Hamza yeah, yeah, he's the one that yeah. gives me the idea. And he pops like nine a day, but like, uh, <laughs> nine. That's yeah. a lot of eggs. <laughs> it's a lot of eggs, to be honest. But I'm thinking, I'm also thinking of like having variety as well because I've been having a lot of boiled eggs and it's getting kind of boring. So to introduce novelty, I'm gonna be frying them some more, doing some scrambled eggs, um, having like a, a raw egg and milk shake like early in the morning. I just wanna get creative with it. But um, yeah, nine eggs is the goal. I don't think above that is healthy, but again, define healthy. You never know <laughs> until you just keep <laughs> on building. By the way, yeah. you said something that was interesting too about meditating. So my, you know what, Jack, I think I have an idea of working that is limiting me so much. Just like you said, like, you know, when I'm reading a book and I get an, an idea that forces me to leave the book, there's a part of me, that perfectionistic part of me that loves to be structured and stuff that's like, what are you doing? Like, no, stick to the course, that, that sort of thing. But I understand that, you know, creativity is a, is a, is a messy kind of pursuit. So then here's what my meditation looks like. Like when I'm in the zone, I'm breathing in slowly, in and out. Then an idea comes to mind. And then I know that if I don't write this idea down, it has to go off. So now I'm now forced to make this decision. Do I just stick to the meditation or write the ideas? And so far I've been writing the ideas. And dude, like it got to a point where yesterday I spent, because I'm meditating for 30 minutes currently, where I spent, I believe 18 minutes just ideating. And then the other 12 was left to like uh -huh. deep breathing. And it makes me think that, that that's not 30 minutes of meditation that's <laughs> like i ripped myself off and it seems like you do the same as well or do you like when you get an idea you pause the timer draft that out and then start the timer again so that you actually get the 60 minutes of meditation or is the thinking part of it also meditation as well what's it like for you so i think like we have to define meditation like true meditation and i've i've really only got to this state like in a psychedelic state but like mm -hmm. true meditation is true presence and it's on the other side of your thoughts. And like at that point, you essentially are stop. You stop thinking and you're just kind of one with nature, you could say. However, I think this other form of meditation is more like thinking, just like that time to think. And I also think that's so important too. And like, I've talked to a lot of like Buddhists and like, Zen type people like Dan Goldfield, uh, Lee St. John, the Zentrepreneur about this type of topic. And like to get to that point where you're completely quiet inside, like you're in this blissful state of no thought and pure presence, it takes years of consistent practice. Right. And so I think more realistically for think for people like us, like trying to be present, trying to, um, like step beyond your thoughts is a good practice. However, I think it's also good practice to just sit and think like for Naval, I know he's talked about this, like sometimes he'll get to the other side of his thoughts and be in pure bliss, like a psychedelic experience. But for the most part, 
those 60 minutes he spends quote unquote meditating are just 60 minutes, like going through his mental inbox and just getting to the bottom of like thought rabbit holes essentially. And just letting your mind go and think through things because in the modern world, like we don't give ourselves space to think like you can never be bored. If you don't want to, you could just pull out your phone, read tweets, go on Instagram, listen to a YouTube video, whatever. But I mean, in our evolutionary history, most of our time was spent in quiet solitude thinking like you would just sit outside and look at the trees for a couple hours. Like what else would you do? So now it's like the modern struggle is how can you have the willpower to carve out that time to meditate or to think? I mean, you could call it whatever you want just to actually self-reflect a little bit because it's huge. Self-awareness is huge. I agree, man, dude. I remember going like so many phases of my life without reflecting on my actions. <laughs> and I was just like doing, making the same mistakes over and over again. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great habit for sure. And meditation is endorsed by a lot of people. So by the way, there's a part of me that is that perfectionistic part of me, which I'm trying to get rid of. And that's like, oh my God, you're now asking him too many questions. Are you very away from the main conversation? But <laughs> no, it's all I know this is meant point. to be a fun chat, but I just thought about it. I know a bunch of people that follow me, they don't know what psychedelics is. And frankly, I'm still struggling to grasp it myself because when I hear psychedelics, I look at the threads about it. I see some weird flowery thingies. Uh, what is psychedelics, sir? Yeah, it's a good question. I appreciate you asking me to clarify. And I guess I should probably give a disclaimer. Like I'm not vouching for or suggesting any use. Like you should do your own research and come to your own. Yeah, you should come to your own conclusions. (laughs) However, like these psychedelics, they're essentially, you could reframe them as plant medicine. And so let's take the example of mushrooms, right? Those are, there's something that grow out of the earth And they have this like divine intelligence where, and it's really hard to explain until you actually do it, right? Like it's hard to explain a personal brand until you build one yourself. It's hard to explain what happens when you take psychedelics until you take them yourself. But it is that state that I talked about where you're on the other side of your thoughts. The gap between your intellect and intuition goes away you're deeply connected to your subconscious and your deepest intuition and like this deep state of knowing and presence that you are where you're meant to be you know how you know where you're going to go and you know how you're going to get there at least that's how it's been for me now i think an important note with anything psychedelic is there's a couple different ways you could take them and for the vast majority of people around our age like college kids high school kids whatever they're taking them to have fun. They're taking them to party, right? They're going to go out to the bar. They're going to do Adderall and mushrooms and drink, and then maybe do Coke after. Like that's a very typical party thing in America, Mm -hmm. at least, which is pretty horrible in my eyes. Um, However, I don't know. Everybody can do their own thing. But how I've chosen to use psychedelics is in a very intentional, self-reflective way of, I have a few things top of mind that I want to really go deep on into my psyche and discover. And I want to either be alone or with a couple really close people who I trust, who I can feel like I'm comfortable around because, and I can't believe this conversation has turned into psychedelics, but I kind of like it is (laughs) there's like three boxes you want to check to set yourself up for the best odds of having a profound life-changing psychedelic experience. And it's like the set set and setting is what they call it. And it's basically the mindset you have going in, 
the people you're around and the environment you're in. And if you can check those three boxes and be like at a place of relative peace, you're comfortable with your own mind. There's a little anecdote of like the people who have bad psychedelic trips are the same people who can't sit with their thoughts for five minutes because they don't have control over their mind. Their mind goes crazy. And that could set you up for a negative thought rabbit hole, et cetera. If you could be around people you trust or even by yourself, and if you could be in a comfortable environment where you're not going to be fearful, like whether it's at home alone or like you're, you're on a hike in nature with your good friends, you're setting yourself up for the best odds of having a really profound experience. Now, it's not to say it can't turn negative because like there's no guarantees. However, an analogy that I've heard, and I can definitely attest to this, is like one day of a psychedelic experience is like 10 years of self-therapy in a couple hours. And I can, I can look back at like the couple times I've done them as some of the most life-changing times of my life. Like the most recent time was in last September I did, <laughs> I sat with ayahuasca in the jungle of Costa Rica <laughs> with Taylor Simmons. Is that a psychedelic? Um, it, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, another psychedelic and it's supposedly the most powerful one. And I came away from the experience with more clarity on my purpose, my vision, where I want to go and how I'm going to get there than I ever had had before. And it wasn't just like talking about it. It wasn't like, I want to go do this. It was like this deep sense of knowing that and this deep sense of conviction that I don't even want to share this with anybody. Like I didn't even want to tell people the insights I had because I felt like explaining the truth of the insights would taint them in a way and make them less substantial. And so like, I've tried to keep those pretty close to my heart of like that deep conviction of where I want to go. I know I kind of went on a tangent there, but like, did that clarify a little bit of what these things are and what they could do? I went from thinking you were selling me on weed, but uh, the no. ending kind of <laughs> covered up for it. And yeah, I, honestly, I think it's, it's just one of those things that you have to experience to really understand it. But you were very good with your words, like you were very vivid um, in terms of explaining it. But like you said, there is a massive um, chunk in there that you just have to experience it for yourself. And honestly, man, you know, I've I've been <laughs> I've been having a bunch of weird epiphanies recently that just from the act of being much more creative and actively like um, embracing the act of being a creator that I've had so many ideas. And like, even from meditating to an idea came up that had nothing to do with me, it had something to do with this person I was talking about. And I just recommended they do this, or I recommended that, Hey, this thing came to mind about you. And it happened to like align with this other person who is not me, who is nowhere around me, who is like miles away. So, I think just from that sense, it, it tells me that, you know, everything is connected. So I can just imagine you um, taking this drug, for lack of a better description. I like to think it just like supercharges it and maybe connects you more with nature. Like you said, uh, you, there is 100%. something in the mushroom as well. And yeah, I, I think that's going to be pretty interesting. You know, I'd love to 100%. have that sometime. By the way, uh, since yeah. like this is so good shouldn't people like have it every day like do you have it every day the ayahuasca oh no definitely not it's not oh a state you, you want, want to be insightful to... what are you talking about <laughs> well the thing <laughs> is you can you can carry those downloads and insights with you into your normal state of being and like this is i went pretty far down this psychedelic and spirituality rabbit hole um hmm. but there's this quote 
from Jesus, actually, from the Bible, where he says, like, be in the world, but not of the world. And essentially what he means by that is, like, when you when you take a psychedelic and you have a profound experience, you're operating at a higher level of consciousness or, like, ego development, almost like you get a little bit, bit of a taste of what it might feel like to actually exist in the enlightened state of being, like a monk might get to, or, like, the Buddha might have gotten to, etc., and you get to taste that for a little bit. But then when you come back down to the normal plane of consciousness and the normal plane of reality, you can carry what you learned in that state with you in your day-to-day life. And a lot of people are, are searching for enlightenment where they can act in the world all the time in that state. And, you know, it's something I've thought about, like, that's kind of a lifelong pursuit, but it's not even really a pursuit like enlightenment is not something that can be achieved. It's more so something that can be surrendered to and like let go of. Um, But yeah, I I mean, kind of to sum it up, like some people do do like microdose uh, psychedelics. So I actually experimented with this a couple of times in college. I remember for three months, I microdosed mushrooms for like for three months and my creativity was through yeah. So not every day, but like on a rotation, like I went deep down this, like a couple days a week, essentially. And mm-hmm. you take a very small amount. So like, and I don't want to get into details of numbers and stuff. Cause I don't want to make people just go do stuff, but um, <laughs> like you take a very small amount. It's kind of like a supplement, right? Like you take your lion's mane in the morning, you take your tyrosine, you take your coffee, whatever. It's like a little supplement where you're just a little bit more connected to your intuition. You're a little bit more creative. You're a little bit more grounded in the present moment. Um, And that had a profound impact on like my personal growth during those three months because I was not in the best place mental health wise. And I was trying to figure out who I was because I just quit football. I'd like shattered my identity with a full-blown mushroom trip and I was trying to reinvent myself. And that was a tool that helped me. Now, Now that I'm talking about it, I might want to, reconnect to it again and try again but if you don't want to be full-blown on psychedelics every day because you will lose touch with reality you'll you'll be you'll become very airy fairy and just lose touch with the real world essentially ah damn you discouraged me all right because i was thinking like if this takes you to like a higher plane of consciousness why wouldn't you want to remain there like the entire time but yeah you're right like imagine yeah because for the impact i want to have on the world because like everything i do every selfish goal i have is a selfless goal so yeah Mm -hmm. i don't think i want to be there for long and that makes sense (laughs) no but we will have to talk about this another time potentially about like uh because it is pretty profound and life-changing but um we've been going for a while and i want to wrap it up with a little bit more of a actionable type of question so you mentioned earlier that you believe that you're capable of running a $1 million a month creator business. So I'm curious how far you've thought ahead and like, what are the steps that you would have to reverse engineer to take you from where you're at now to having that be your reality? Well, to, to frame it more, I would say I have the information in my head to say I'm capable of it. That is something that's going to come with time, but in terms of thinking about it, so a million a year is, is 12 million a year. That is, that is a lot, um, at least to me at this phase of life, I, that does look like a lot. But I see that as 
I'm going to have a lot of a, a service business in there. Like I love the leverage play and all uh, in terms of like running an education business and building, but I still see myself as someone who wants to like in some way, like actively coach someone uh, because I enjoy that at least in this stage of life. Maybe when I switch over to the family model, I just want to do like the education businesses and stuff. So to, to me, it's like, I ask myself like, what kind of value can I offer to a company to pay me like 50 grand and I just need to have like 20 of those companies um, every single month. And let's say have like a side business, maybe an education business at the same time. Like that is what I see that's gonna take me to that. But the idea of course, of someone pay me $50,000 per month, uh, something that's gonna equate to over a million, or close to um, 600K uh, per year is what I haven't yet understood. But I'm like, if I could learn how to bring a business something valuable, something that is worth you know, 10 times that, like half a million dollars, because I know people who have gotten this for some of their clients. And I know that these people, they, they aren't that, uh, for lack of a better description, better than I am, like in that particular scale. So I know it's something that I could learn. So right now it's going to require me to write a lot it's going to require me to think a lot to focus a lot to uh, <laughs> to ayahuasca once in a while <laughs> so yeah that's that's just what i'm thinking about if i can offer a business something of value that brings them five hundred thousand dollars a month and i charge them ten percent of that i think they'll be pretty happy to give me that so if i can do that for 20 businesses that is one million of course then if on the side i'm running a an education business, a community or a cohort, I know that can fill up for the remaining um, chunk of uh, income that's going to go away to like uh, the margins, because of course, I'm not going to run um, such a business at 100% margins. So I think that and an education business, I think that's going to get me to $1 million per month. I'm sorry, I'm not being very concise because well, one, I haven't planned it out fully, which, of course, thank you so much, Jack. And now it's something I have to, after I got off <laughs> this call, I need to actively um, think it out. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's like one of those goals where it is, it is out there for me. It's something that I need to think deeply about. I need to become more skilled at before I really have that clarity. But I just see it as it's going to be service business plus education business. And in fact, I think that's even a limiting perspective because, frankly, and while I do want to be in service, now it's a question of, do I want to be working actively with 20 businesses per month? I don't think I want to do that right now. So maybe I could do that with just an education business and I'm just coping. Mm. I love mm. that you're already coming to new conclusions. And the reason yeah. I asked it, of course, <laughs> like if you knew the answer, you'd already be doing it, right? It's like something you have to figure out along the way. But I was yeah. just curious where your current line of thinking with it was. And like, I do think thinking big like that and like, bringing those huge goals to light and like right in front of your face forces you to think about them in a way that if you never thought about it, like, and it was just kind of this abstract number out there, you never actually have to figure out the steps to get there. So I feel like this is something that's going to keep evolving for you. And like, we're going to have to keep talking about it because I haven't actually set like a number like that, but it can't hurt to reverse engineer. Um, but dude, this was a, an awesome conversation. It went a lot longer than I expected, but I feel like that just happens. We could just flow. I agree, man. I really enjoyed this one for sure. I really like a quote to 
uh, tie back the point you made. I made this tweet recently, something about if your goals aren't so big that it make your head hurt, your fingers twitch, and I believe I use some other adjective, they're not big enough. And if your goals aren't small enough that they get you into the flow state, get you exhausted at night and excited in the morning, then they aren't um, adequate enough. And um, yeah, that's why I really enjoy this exercise more because it's not something I've thought so deeply about. I mean, frankly, I, I've spewed out numbers that at some point I want to be doing nine figures a month. Not for me personally. Frankly, I'm not exactly a, a big spender or a high stepper or anything like that. Uh, it's just because of the goals I have for the future, the people I want to, the people I want to help help themselves, and that's going to require a lot of money. It's going to require a lot of attention. So, honestly, man, thank you. I need to even think bigger than I currently am in order to get to that phase of life. Because why I don't like to be in fear mongering mode, like urgency all the time, but like time is of the essence. Like society isn't exactly getting. Um, any better, considering that a lot of people are descending and entropy is really uh, messing a lot of lives. So I think it's essential that we think big and I'm glad this podcast went as long as it did. Uh, I know that the, the real people will enjoy it as well. So it won't even feel long to them at all. Yeah, man, I completely agree. And before we hop off, where can people find you at? What are you currently building? What can they expect out of you? You can find me at Francis underscore Ole. That is O L E H, just like the the Mexican game where they raise the the red um, blanket and then the the bull runs over it. Ole, like that's that's um, the name. <laughs> so um, O L E H. Um, that's me on Twitter. Currently, Twitter is my only platform. I will move to LinkedIn at some point, and then I'll move to basically other platforms in 2025 or 2026. I just want to. Um, stick my foot in strongly on Twitter. So Francis underscore Ole, then you can subscribe to my newsletter, um, link in bio of my Twitter. It's going to change over time, which is why I'm not spewing out the newsletter link right now. I'm currently building out a clarity coaching package because um, just like something you said earlier on in the conversation, man, just having the clarity that we have, like, do you ever just get like so excited that imagine we can just get people to just have this clarity of vision, not like tell them everything we know, but just like them to understand what their purpose is, what their passions are, and that the things they need to prioritize to get there. That's like everything, man. That's just what I want to give people um, with this new uh, product that I'm developing It's a stack of four calls. And I believe eventually it's going to evolve into a course and then a community. So that is what I'm currently building. That is what um, makes me get up excited in the morning and exhausted at night. Uh, just like you're building your lead magnet and your future courses. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I love it, dude. And for everybody that's still listening, definitely follow Francis, check out his stuff, sign up for his coaching call. Like this dude really knows his stuff. If you work with him for a month, you'll shortcut your learning curve by a year or two years. Cause he'll distill all that knowledge into a 30 day program for you. So anyways, dude, we'll have to do this again, six to 12 months down the line, see where we're at. And then like, Maybe we make it a yearly thing. I agree, man. We need to do this way more. And of course, um, I'm, I know I'm going to be working more with Jack um, along the line. So yeah, we need to make this a yearly thing for sure because we are so mission aligned. I remember the first time we got on a call, I felt like crying afterwards because I was like, yes, finally, I found someone that gets it. That makes me not feel weird. I felt right. my life was complete. I was like, yes. <laughs> so um, yeah, we, we should definitely do a lot more of this. We're also going to be doing a ton of spaces as well. So um, just in case you're listening to this because I shared it, you should definitely give Jack a follow, Jack Moses Zero 
Um, he's the guy. He, he really knows the stuff. And subscribe to his uh, 4,000 word newsletter as well. It sounds <laughs> long, but trust me, it's, it's not at all. There's a lot of value in those words. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Love it as well.